Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! that would actually talk about an erection because most guys don't want to talk about erections either because they have like PED or they just find it so personal. <laughs> well, I mean, when you, I don't know, I guess all I can say is, is that I kind of did this crazy career for 25 years of my life and I'm not exactly too scared of getting personal because I've pretty much opened myself up to the whole world as it is already. So I have nothing to hide at all. <laughs> and yeah, I guess it's kind of weird because I don't, I'm in that, that age group, I guess now where I don't really care what anybody thinks of me anymore, really. I mean, I'm trying my best to do what I can in my own way for my, for what I'm doing with my career, as far as going into the authenticity training and helping other authors to become more authentic with their writing and all that stuff. That's where my passion is now. I inject all my creativity into that, whereas it used to be in the dance arena, as you probably know. So yeah, it's just a different game, but you know what? Like I said, life goes on. Tomorrow's a new day. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And I wanted to also say my condolences to your friend, Scott, too. Thank you. Yeah, Scott Hall is a very special um, type of legend yeah. in that respect. And uh, it's just really sad when, you know, legends pass away, but they're forever remembered by people, no matter what. You know, yeah. he had an incredible life. <laughs> I met a lot of the wrestlers when I worked at uh, Club La Vila down in Panama City. So they used to go out. A lot, a lot of the crew used to come down there and do the the whole Monday night stuff for the Nitro and stuff and all that. So it was, it was pretty cool. I got to rub shoulders with some interesting gear. Oops. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> Technology. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this mic's buzzing, so my apologies. No, it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not buzzing. Oh, so weird. There. Okay, good. That's all right. So, yeah, no, I, I really... Back in that time, I was really kind of, I guess you could say, I, I was in a bit of a status role, a bit of a different status role than what you're, you know, what you're, you're talked about or whatever with, with wrestlers and stuff. But anybody really in the spotlight, it is what it is. They're really just people just like you and me. And really, I don't really get all too gaga about it anymore. I used to a lot with different rock stars and stuff, but people are people. And I have the same bloody struggles as anybody else does. And that's kind of why I wrote the book, because I wanted it to be more of a, I guess to help out the regular guy that dealt with the same BS that I did as far as unworthiness and lack and emotional disconnection, which us guys tend to really be good at. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you ever see the TV show Toy Boy? It's um, It's from Spain. It's on Netflix. I thought of you when I was watching it last night. I'm on the second season. I totally binge watched it. Hence why I wasn't up reading late, but yeah, you should watch it because it's about male strippers and, um, it takes place in Spain, but this whole love affair that happens between a guy and a woman and just there's like a murder. It's I can't give it away because it's really, really good. But have you ever found yourself now? First of all, Corey has written this book called Take It Off. It's really a cool cover, too. It's got two of my favorite colors on it, which are blue and yellow, uh, okay. blue and gold, I should say, the Swedish colors. Um, right. And it's an amazing book. I, I think a lot of guys could probably learn something from this as well. Um, did you, did you go to school for writing? Cause you'd know how to write really well. 
Yeah, ironically, Jasmine, thanks for asking that, actually. I, I really take that as an awesome compliment because <laughs> completely straightforward about it. When I started that whole project off, I didn't know shit. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I actually, when I started writing the book, I was like, okay, half my friends that had heard all my crazy-ass stories were like, oh, Corey, you should write a book. So I was like, yeah, okay. And I just kind of followed along. But what I was actually doing, believe it or not, at, very, at first, was I was just getting out my phone and voice noting. And I was just sitting there writing it by voice. And then really what ended up happening was I kind of edited it myself to a certain degree and kind of put these chapters together based on this crazy timeline of everything from five years old, I don't really out until 43, right? So I had to kind of dive back into my past and go, okay, what happened? Where was I on 9-11? Where was I when Hurricane Katrina happened? Where was I, you know, and just kind of piece it back, right? So doing that was cool. But then when I got down to actually business as far as really like putting the book together, I actually joined up with this wicked company out in uh, Kingston, Ontario called uh, Daring to Share Global. And they have this this really, really talented editor, editor slash writer slash coach. And she really brought in this whole authenticity side into my writing. And that was what was the game changer. And so that is literally why I'm in the career that I'm in now is, is that I have a real passion not just for helping writers out to write more authentically, but especially for guys to just be more authentic. And it can go, it can apply to women too, but I kind of try with, with the guys in particular because for me, I didn't realize I was being inauthentic a lot of the time. It was just, it was just there. I didn't even know. It was kind of like I was even almost kind of blocking. And so I had to fall through the pitfalls, right? I had to go and do the long course gump walk. I had to go through the bullshit divorce. I had to go through the drug addiction. I had to go through all of it kind of figure it out why i went to figure out why i went there at this age and so that's why you probably saw the naked truth at the end of every chapter that's my kind of undrug haze accountable responsible side coming out and saying yeah Corey, you really messed up here you did okay here whatever it was and just kind of say it like it is and so this is the way i look at it jasmine we might be able to appreciate this other people might call it creepy but to me it's like i'm going to show me your or show you mine you show me yours if it's like a lot of people have to be willing to go there and not everybody is. So by saying, Hey, I'm just like you, I might've been on the stage, but dude, you know, you're, you're a garbage truck driver, but you deal with the same shit that I, do. it's just in a different lens. Right. So that's kind of the, that's kind of what I'm trying to get across with the book more than just the stories about blowjobs. <laughs> you know, to be honest. Hey, well, look, there, there was a hot garbage truck driver the other day, but I think he was like way too old. He was like 25 years old. It's like, seriously, that's like geriatric in my book. But um, oh, I totally God, get it. That's <laughs> the case. And I'm fossilized over here. I'm just dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this reminds me, it, it's, it's because you remind me of Loverboy, the movie. <laughs> really? You remember that movie? Vaguely, yeah. That's back in the 80s, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's a long time and the women that were on there that he approached or made these little friendships with, I don't think they, they didn't specifically have sex, but it just, they wanted to be talked to differently than their spouses would talk to them or their husbands would treat them. They wanted attention. And did you ever feel yourself being psychiatrist at any point or a psychologist <laughs> and overpaid? No, actually, I, I think you might've been underpaid during your career as a, um, a male exotic dancer. Yeah, and that's like, man, when I talk about that, it's like craft dinner one day, steak and lobster next, right? Like, it just depended on where I was. I went for everywhere from, like, Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories to Tampa and then across over to New York and then all the way over to, well, I didn't even go to California or, or Nevada <laughs> or any of that area. But, uh, you know, I was just everywhere across North America, and it was really up and down when it came to the money 
face side of things. But when you're talking about like making an impression on people or, or trying to, I guess, you know, when you're having an impact on somebody, I, that was something that I always really enjoyed about the career. It wasn't like, yes, I was in it for the money. Yeah. I was in it for the women, especially when I was younger. I'll admit that. Like I was like, that was having a good time when I was in my twenties. I'm not going to bullshit. But like when I got into my thirties and stuff and I started to kind of, I don't know, like I was going through, like I said, a little bit of a crazy drug phase there for a bit, but what it came down to for me, just being really honest, this is still the way that I feel to this day is it's like, I really get this charge. This is adrenaline rush out of like getting emotions up. And it's like, it started when I was that little kid at five years old, like running around in my grandparents' house naked, trying to get a rise out of people who were the company. And it just kind of expanded and snowballed from there. So just being real, like I never wanted to be, even when I got into the dance game, like I never wanted to be the YMCA guy. I didn't want to be the cop, the firefighter, the freaking cowboy. I didn't want to be all that bullshit. Like I wanted to be creative. Like, I wanted to add stuff into it that I could make somebody laugh their ass off, cry, freaking lose their shit. Like, you know, whatever it was, I just always wanted to get that, that emotional reaction out of people. So yeah, and, and that's why I think that's part of why I had this passion and stayed in the game for, for 25, 30 years, which is just me i still say that about like that but it is what it is right i enjoyed it i had a passion for it and if i could i, I think it's kind of funny even when you're at this age and you look back at all that stuff you're like oh i should have done that or that would have been a great song to do that step with or whatever you get all this creativity and then you're like oh yeah but i'm 51 <laughs> that ain't happening so yeah. well you know there is a gig for you this weekend if you choose to come out of retirement <laughs> It's so weird because I've been to like a couple of strip clubs in my life. Now, the last time, like at my bachelorette party, I ended up marrying the male stripper. This is in Vegas. It's like a total. No, no, no. It was done after the weekend. It was. It's okay though. Like I don't like. Um. Yeah, it's okay. He was hot though. But the whole. <laughs> you're lucky that you didn't come to Vegas because I think you have like more depth to you. And when you when you were growing up, um, if you did grow up ever. Did you want to be anything else? Like maybe like a veterinarian? Cause I know we all have these aspirations and it's so, it's so wild. You're the first like male stripper I've ever spoken to outside of a club, but what did you really want to be growing up? Yeah, that's really cool. I, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've done. And I've never had anyone ask a direct question for us. First off, thank you for asking. Um, secondly, you know, it is kind of funny because I got into this game at 17 years old. And I didn't really have that chance like a lot of kids do when they come out of high school to go, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? I'm going to be a doctor or a player? What am I going to do? No, I was already in ladies' night. And I was already, you know, doing that thing. So I, oddly enough, really wasn't really searching for anything else. Like, I kind of, it took me to get into my 40s before I even decided to even pursue anything else outside of, like, a, I guess you could say a short time in the construction industry doing it because I had to when I was living in Florida, I had no choice. But all I'm getting at is, is that I guess if I could rewind and go back and try to do it all over again, I think that I probably would have went more into maybe the entertainment field as far as acting or into maybe uh, even into the music end of things because I really do have a passion for both of those. But I just really had this lack inside of me, this unworthiness inside of me. And really just didn't see myself in that role. And truthfully, if you want to know, really get down to it, I never really honestly saw myself being able to be a male dancer. Like, I never even envisioned that. 
it's crazy. Like the first time I ever went out on stage, I looked at those guys. And I was like, not me. No way I could do that. Right. And then it was like, it was so surreal when I went to Florida, pull up in the parking lot and you're like life-size pictures on a billboard outside the club. It's like, what the hell? Like it just doesn't even make, it doesn't even compute to me. It still does. So as much as I was in that status role, I never kind of saw myself as that. And I still, oddly enough, I have that sense inside of me still sometimes, and it's kind of that inner critic that holds me back, and I, I have to be aware of that inner critic, that saboteur that holds me back and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I would definitely stay in the entertainment field, though, for sure, in some way, shape, or form. Well, you should. I mean, sometimes, especially at this stage in your life, and it's never too late to start anything new. There are actors that are in their 50s or 60s that do phenomenally well, even though they start then. You know, I've been the oldest person in any of my improv classes, um, not that I really give a shit. What's your, what was your horoscope again? Not your horoscope, but your, uh, your sign. I know it sounds like a pickup line. <laughs> yeah. What's your sign? Baby? What's uh, your sign? It's <laughs> Aries actually. And I'm right on the cusp between Aries and Taurus. So April 19th. Aries, Aries, Aries. Is that the end of March? Uh, yeah. March till April 19th. So, yeah. Did you ever think about getting settled down and marrying? Like when you tell women the story, about your life do they somehow not want to date you i mean i i don't think there's anything wrong with you then they go i don't know what your medicine cabinet looks like but do you <laughs> or you or your arsenal for that matter but do you ever have a problem dating people actually not so much jasmine i made that decision in the last two years not to date anyone i've actually stayed completely out of the dating scene of the state completely out of the career scene i actually gave up my former career completely like i was I was basically doing the regular day OP going to do like, I was everything from a financial advisor the last few years to a software salesperson, even safety training equipment. I tried all these different jobs and nothing satisfied me. Nothing made me have the goosebumps. I just wasn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't for me. But when it came to the relationship side, to be honest, the last, the last relationship I was in, I was the one that actually split up with her and we were in the Philippines. I actually took her to the Philippines. We were there for three days and we were in Morkai. And it's like Valentine's Day. We split up after three days on the trip. And it was just crazy because like in the end, we kind of got back together. And then it was kind of like, it just wasn't, it just was never going to work. We could really kind of tell. And so we kind of tried to square, squeeze the square through a circle because we've known each other all our lives. But at the same time, when that was done, I was just kind of like, nah, it's time to really work on myself. Like, I, I really finally got to the point where I wasn't, I was still relying too much on the exterior and not working on my inner issues. And so it really took that detachment to be able to empathize with other people and to be able to understand other people and kind of just open up my mind to, I guess, finding people that I disagreed with at times and trying to get in there and understand them a little bit more. I, I don't necessarily, I could respect their perspective that way and they kind of do the same thing for me. So that helped me with my writing process. It, it, it helped me to detach, to, to just basically not only do this book, but to create my courses that I'm doing for authenticity and just basically pursuing what I want to do for once instead of like doing things for everybody else all the time. And, and I'm not saying that I was always that way. Like I, I definitely had my time where I've been selfish or I've been egotistical or whatever it is. But just at this point in my life, I found that there, there has to be some time, I guess I have to grow up. And what I mean by that is just grow up not as far as like, oh, he went and got himself a career. I'm talking about grow up as far as the person that I am, the person that I represent, because I don't want to sell myself as something that I'm not anymore. Like I hit behind that altar to go too long. 
think that's why the, the cover of the book has the mask across the yes. side of my face. And I hid behind that for so many years, right? And I wasn't willing to go there with my inner stuff because when it came right down to it, it was kind of weird because I was raised by this depression era family. My grandfather was like somebody I really looked up to a lot, you know, kind of idolized him to a certain degree, but he had his faults. Like he really had his faults, but I would, I kind of blocked those out and went, Oh, you know, he doesn't say I love you. He doesn't give you any, any emotional stuff. That's just the way my family is. You know, he loves me in a different way. That's kind of the way I always kind of looked at it. But then I kind of realized that, no, that wasn't really the way it should have been. You know, he had his issues that were kind of dropped down from his family background and, and back in, an era that I could never even comprehend, right? So yeah. I guess what I'm kind of saying is, is that without looking into that, I was going to continue the same pattern. I was going to still continue being that person that looked up at somebody all the time going, Ooh, I have high expectations of her because she's so beautiful and she needs to stay exactly that way. And, and I would always be like, and if, if everything, anything faltered, I'd be critical of that person. Or I'd be the other side looking down from my pedestal going, oh, you need to really get your shit together. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be willing to do it myself. So like the audacity that I had to do that is just unbelievable. So I look back at that now and just go, I'm liberated. <laughs> I'm okay with it. You know, I have just as many faults as anybody else. And I'm not going to do this perfectionism comparison game anymore. Like I'm a progression, and, you know, uh, like I said, it's just sort of one of those things that when I look at, at my life, I don't look at my past anymore. I really look more so at what I can do in my future now and use the value of the lessons that I've learned and especially the core values that I wasn't paying any attention to. And so what I kind of mean by that is, is that I was living on the slot machine of life and I wasn't actually going, okay, Corey, what are your core values? And then what are the feelings that are actually attached to those core <laughs> values? And then let's even go deeper with that. Maybe you should be really aware of when there's the opposite feeling there. That's even worse. And I wasn't aware of it. Like I didn't, I didn't connect those dots, Jasmine. So like, yeah, I think about like my, just as an example, like my eight year marriage, my ex cheated on me, whatever. Like, I mean, it is what it is. but I held this grudge against her because I was the good guy. I was the guy that never cheated on her for the entire time we were married. I was the guy taking off my clothes all over the place. Hey, I, you know, how dare she do that to me? And I would never take any accountability for it. Right. I was like, oh yeah, it's all her fault. Blame, 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 point finger. Right. And then, so through this process, I went, oh, okay, now I understand. The last year or so when we were married, I lost my creativity, which was one of my core values. I didn't have creativity being on stage anymore. So I was this construction worker. And so what's attached to my creativity? Well, the feeling of excitement. So I lose the feeling of excitement. So when I lost that, well, guess what? I wasn't the guy she married him. So who's to blame here? Is it really her? Hmm, at least 50% my fault, at least. So when I took that layer off and went, gone, then I went back to her and said, hey, I know we've only talked three times in like 15 years since we got divorced, <laughs> but I'm here to let you know I connected the dots and I want to release you from your prison cell of guilt because I'm releasing myself from it as well. And I'm just letting you know that I, I figured out what happened with us, why it happened. You might've took the action, but it's okay. I was just responsible for it. And so in that, in, when that happened, she went and found her authentic self just by me being a role model. And it was like, boom, my mind just went, because I was like, I thought that relationship could never be healed. And then all of a sudden she turns into like, oh my God, Corey, where, are, where were you all my life sort of thing, right? <laughs> 
but now you know we're like we're not we're not. but i'm just saying it's one of those things right where it's so great to be able to do that with somebody even after that long of a time like it's so cool to be able to go back and say hey, i'm taking it on now right and so i'm using the thumb yeah well the people usually um co-create situations Ouch. Yeah, they always co-create. People do co-create a situation where something really horrible could happen or something really great or you just learn from it. But, you know, it's the amount of times I always wish there'd be that one person that just came back and assumed that responsibility. But you can't do anything about it. You can't control other people. You just got to release it from yourself. Now, when throughout your years, when you were dancing, did you ever meet anyone that was very inspirational to you or sort of like a mentor at all? And do you still speak to them? Or her? I don't speak to, don't speak to him anymore. Um, but man, oh man, there was this one dude that I met when I first got in the industry. I was a male waiter in the club at first. Like when I first yeah, started yeah. out at 17, I was just taking my shirt off and serving drinks for women. That was kind of different. Then I got into full nude stripping here in Canada. And that was that kind of took me from from this this like uh, kind of I guess you could say feeling like I'm being at the beach sort of thing to okay, now I'm full on showing everything. And so when I went through that transition, as I mentioned earlier, I looked at those guys and thought there's no freaking way I could do that. But then I was actually working in the club one night and this guy came up to me and he, I knew him as the number one male entertainer in Canada. This guy could spin on a dime. He had a chiseled face, rock solid body, hung like a freaking horse, the whole nine yards, wicked entertainer. And the best thing about him was he was even better off stage than he was on stage. He was like, he carried himself with class just talk the, the, the game he talked wasn't games it was his real true self and he just really represented himself like when it was talking to women he wasn't a typical stripper that was like oh, man, man, doing the whole <laughs> VIP bullshit. he was actually just a really good guy and so i looked at him and i went man, like if i was ever going to do this industry that's who i want to be like that that's the guy right there so he said to me he was like Corey, man. he goes i'll train I'll, I'll be your mentor he goes i'll help you through this whole process so it was really wild because he kind of went, um, you can do this. We're going to create a name. So in 10 minutes or so, we created a name. It was Dalton Strong. Back then. So that was kind of based off of the little coaster. So we created the name. Within a couple of weeks, we created an act. And he was more nervous than I was when I went out on stage the first time. Like, he was, like, standing there behind the door, like, you all right, mate? Just losing it, right? And I'm like, I'm fine. We'll be good. But it was just really weird that, that I had this 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 amazing mentor bring me up in this crazy ass industry that's so politically incorrect and so like foregone i guess you'd say in so many ways and now it's kind of like when i look back at that if it wasn't for him i don't think it would have lasted i, I really don't because I, I, it was just too easy to get get my head in the wrong places and so i think it i, I when i look at him and i look at my my grandfather who raised me I really credit the both of them for like when I was in my darkest, deepest hole, like when I was really, really struggling. If it wasn't for, for their influences, I don't know if I would have made it through because, yeah, was, there was some great ups, but there was some really crazy downs too, right? So, but for him, like I said, like if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have just had the guts to, to even do contests and start getting creative with my acts. And that brought me to the point where I won Mr. New Canada, uh, Western Canada and second in Mr. New Canada. And then I ended up in the States going down to Florida and all that. And, but that domino effect all started with when he said, you can do this. And he had the faith in me. I didn't feel I was worthy enough, but he was the one that said, yeah, you can. And you can be just as good as I. 
And that was just. Like, no, it's so a big deal, especially when you look up to someone. Did you ever work at Casaltina in Montreal? I never got that far east, actually. Um, the first east I went was Thunder Bay. I've never been that far east. It's really beautiful. So the tops, so all the way in the top, it's where the girls dance. The middle floor is a regular nightclub. And downstairs, it's where all the male strippers are. It was actually a really cool um, club. But yeah, I, like I said, my experiences with this are different. And I, I always thought it was just really like much older, horny women going into these places. But it's also <laughs> their guys as well, obviously. Um, and then you get people that are just somewhere in there where there's loneliness loneliness is like the worst thing ever you could be with someone but so lonely even though they're there physically sometimes so did you ever date a customer or like have anything with a certain someone at any point and trust me i mean look I, i've wrecked many homes in my time so there's you, you, there's no room to be embarrassed here <laughs> uh, i'm not embarrassed in the slightest i mean honestly i couldn't <laughs> there's a lot of names that I've named in my book that are like people that I had relationships with that meant a lot. And that's why they're in the book. But there was a lot, especially in my first part of my career that it was like, I can never remember the name in a million years. Hell, I can probably not even remember the town I was rolling through when I was doing crazy shit with somebody on the side of the building. Like I'm talking like, I, I'm just saying that I did date a few other female dancers in my time, but it was kind of like my mentor said to me at first, he was like, he was like, one of the number one rules, never fall in love with a female stripper. He like kind of threw that, don't ever fall in love with one. You can have fun, but don't ever fall in love with one. And he used to throw that at me because he had his own insecurities about it. That was what it came down to. And I did, I did fall in love with a couple, right? Over my years. So, and I, I have no shame in it at all. Like, in fact, those relationships, in all honesty, were there for a reason. And I really, really am grateful that I had them regardless of how they ended in the end, like I'm really grateful that I actually had that opportunity to spend that time with those people. Um, and so, but I guess like when it came down to just like, when you're talking about like what the impact that you make on people when you're going to, you know, they don't, they had the loneliness side of things and all that. Right. Like I saw that a lot, especially when I was rolling through the military towns during the Iraq war, especially when I was going through the, the Bible Belt areas of the southern U.S., right, where they, the, these women in particular had kind of like almost like they were almost in lockdown. And so even lockdown sleeping next to their man, right, what I'm getting at is, is that they might be in the relationship, but they're not really free to be themselves. And then all of a sudden they get out at ladies' night and all hell breaks loose, right? And it's like, and I'm not saying that of every woman, like, that's like saying that every male male dancer is a slut, you know, like it's just like throwing that stereotype out there is bullshit. So I don't think that way about women either. Like I always looked at it like I always really, really actually respected female dancers in a big way because female dancers have to deal with the male mentality. So like and, and us guys, we're just seeing it through our lens, right? But for me, I saw it in a different way. And what I mean by that is that women, as you know, have to go hustle. They're doing whatever, six shows a day. Sometimes it starts at 11 a.m. and it goes through till four in the morning, right? You never know. And then usually they're not really, they're, they're being judged. It's like, oh, nice outfit. Doesn't really work for me. Oh, it's got a big ass. Doesn't really work for me. The guys are so critical. They're just like, oh, yeah, whatever, right? And there's, as they're sitting there eating their beer with their gut hanging, right? They're going to say that. 
right? Because that's just what guys are. And so, not every guy, <laughs> but I'm just saying, in general, if you're going to stereotype it, right? And so, the other side of the coin was that I could go out and do ladies' night, and I was one of the best. But at the same time, like, I had guys in my group that came with us on shows that were, like, rookies that had barely ever stepped foot on stage and shouldn't even have been out there. And we did a show and had the crowd going nuts, and they would be screaming just as hard for that rookie out there that had no clue what he was doing, couldn't dance a stitch, and was, like, horrible. But they would still be like, yeah, woo, going crazy for it because they're out there just having a good time with their friends. It's, just, it's a different, just different environment. So dealing with the male mentality through, like, all the hustle, Man, I gotta salute the girls out there that are doing this. Thank you. Yeah, it's believe me. Yeah, you'd see it's the weirdest thing. You'd see like the sloppiest guy there. Oh, her nose is too big. It's like really your ego's too big. Now, if your dick was as big as your ego, maybe you'd be getting laid instead of sitting here like a jackass with dollar bills to boot. But oh man, if we're gonna hey. take a quote from this podcast, I want that. One. Yeah, you got to use it. You have to. Like I beg people to use that. It's like <laughs> people don't use it. Um, did you always like, were they always expecting you to walk onto stage with an erection? And like, how do you do that? Like, you just do you use one of those rings. Do you put a sock in your, I, I have to ask, <laughs> I don't know. Is it a fake penis? <laughs> I, I'm glad you asked that. Cause there's not many podcasts that I can get down and dirty and actually say this. It's like, you know, some of them are PG, some of them are R. Oh, this but, is X. Yeah, okay. Well, this is an interesting thing because a lot of people don't realize the difference between male dancers in Canada and male dancers in the States. Male dancers in the States, we get to run around in our G-string, collect money, and, you know, have a good time, whatever. You have to learn some choreography, add some art, but at the same time, it's nothing compared to what the dancers in Canada has to do. So when I was actually talking about my mentor and when he kind of, like, got going on this whole career, it was like, I had to go back, and I didn't realize this, but my agency up here was like, okay, you have to... You have to tie off for shows. And I was like, tie off? What do you mean? And they're like, oh, you have to go back behind the stage. Or there was, depending on what this environment was, there was sometimes, I swear, there was one show in particular that I could not freaking believe I had to do this, okay? It was a place in Vancouver. I'm not going to name it. And there was a dance floor. The guys out there doing a show on the dance floor. And then they had literally just a squared off black curtain that hung from the roof. And the next dancer would have to go on the stage, like literally right there in the middle of ladies' night, go in there in his costume, get an erection behind the black curtain, wrap an elastic three times around the base of his dick, and then basically like tie that blood off in there so it stays hard. Okay, so that's what we had to do for every show. But man, there's a big difference between being doing that in your hotel bathroom in comparison to doing it on the stage, right? So like, I remember like just how pressure there was having to do that and like literally sitting there just like oh my god with beads of sweat just dripping off my face going come on man make it happen somehow you know so like that was like the worst of the worst right and then but then there was the other occasions where i'd have to do five or six shows in one night in winnipeg and it would be minus 30 and i'm going from one gig to the next and the driver's driving me and i'm sitting in the back seat like okay let's wrap this thing up and freaking go out to the next show and I have to do like three tie-offs in a night so i had some experiences with that that two in particular they could have done me damage and i'm really glad that it didn't but one was in that very first show that i was referring to when i went out with my mentor and he was behind the door saying are you okay <laughs> should have listened to him a little more 
because he said, oh, yeah, wrap it three times. Well, I was like nervous young kid going, oh, my God, I got to make sure this works. So I did four. Not a good move. And so when I took that elastic off, it was like my head hit the roof and I was like, the pain was just so intense, right? Couldn't even feel it for like two days. Just and the same thing happened when I did Mr. Nude Western Canada. Unfortunately, a guy jumped in front of me and I was already tied off backstage. He jumped in front of me and did like a 25-minute print set. And I was like, oh my God. And so and then I had to wait that out. And then I went and did my show. And my show ended up having encores. So I won the bloody thing. And then it was like an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it was. I was tied off for it. Again, signing autographs for girls. Like they were like across the freaking room. And, you know, yeah, have an autograph. Blah, blah, blah. I was signing it saying whatever other, you know, I wanted whatever they wanted me to say to them and then the next thing you know like there's, there's the occasional one that's like yeah baby we should go home tonight or whatever and i'm thinking to myself you want to but this shit isn't even gonna work anyway like it's just ridiculous right so it's just funny right like people don't realize that that's what we had to go through right? and so and i did that for almost a decade ouch yeah i mean do you have well not to be personal but do you still have problems from that at all i mean because there's some guys that took i dated this guy once that had to put these injections in right and he pissed me off so bad. I put bacteria stat water instead of um, the actual formula that should have been in there and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they have, I, I was like, you're telling me about tying up. I'm like, wait a second. Why didn't they teach these boys about the injections that you put in the base of the penis? Like 89 year old men use that. Don't ask me how I know. And that, that's how I learned the bacteria stat water thing to dilute that. So it doesn't work, but did you ever think about getting into adult films with this? Because usually this is sort of the, pre the precursor to like adult films or like something along those lines. I had the offer a couple of times. But <laughs> oh, what made you turn it down? <laughs> honestly, really being real about it? Yeah. Kind of weird. Um, I'm one of these rare dudes that actually just kind of really one-on-one <laughs> -on -one type of guy. Yeah. And morals and just where I was in my headspace when I was doing shows. I have nothing against anybody doing what you fucking want with your life. I don't care. It's like your life, right? I'm not here to judge. But at the same time, like, for me anyways, like, I, I just had this mentality of, I don't know, like, I just, I had, I guess in a weird kind of way, a bit of a fairy tale mindset with relationships where I was just like, I really wanted to keep the wholeness of having that, that amazing connection with that one person. And so I never went there and I offered everything from gay porn to freaking straight porn to whatever and again like i have exes of mine that, that were in the industry so i'm not in any way saying anything bad on them um but they also there was one time i do remember i was really frustrated i can't remember what i was I can't remember why but i was talking to one of my exes about it i said you know something i should just say fuck it just go into it you know and she was just like porn you know and i was like she was like that's just it's just not you and I started laughing and she's like, she's like, you know as well as I that you're you're different when it comes to that. And I was like, and when I heard that from her when she told me that, because she was already in the game, I was like, okay, all right, I'll take that as a compliment, I guess. But and I just so I just stayed in the dance industry and I never strayed from it. But yeah. You know, it's not I could see you doing that. I mean, possibly I, not as an insult, but I mean, I've met people, a lot of people that started off stripping, yeah. then they ended up doing porn films, and you know, God knows where that ended up. But you you remind me of Tony Robbins in a way when you were saying certain things. Did you ever see the movie yeah. Shallow Hell? Yeah, I love Shallow Hell. 
You're Tony Robbins, like seeing the inner beauty in all these different women that you've met. Do you think it's helped you with your personal relationships with women in general, just dancing for all these different ones and speaking to them, not necessarily hustling them for things or? Well, I really enjoyed blowing my ex-wife's mind. You enjoyed what? Blowing what? Blowing my ex-wife's mind. I loved like just, just making her just go, what the? Like, I can't believe this guy just did this. Like, and so when it came down to doing shows, like a lot of people would say, oh, like, how could you have ever been married to a man? Like, how are you, you know, come on. Like, obviously. Right. And I, I felt the responsibility to her. She was younger than I was. She was about 10 years younger than I was and stuff. And she came from small town, middle Georgia. And just, she couldn't have handled, like, I, I was never going to break her heart. Couldn't do it. There's just no, she was just, just, even to this day, I just feel a lot of way towards her, even though we're not together. I just couldn't do that type of way. And so I would actually make her feel so comfortable. Like I'd be doing shows and be like, you know, my hula skirt where the dollar bills around me. And I'd just come running back to the back of the crowd or whatever. And she'd be sitting back there with the rents, but a bunch of the rest of the dancers' wives and stuff. And I'd just take all my money and shove it in her purse. And I'd just go, yeah, this is all yours. And then I'd be like, we're going to Victoria. And she would just be like, oh, yeah. Like, she, it would make her feel on top of the world, right? And just for some... So it made me feel really good when I could get that emotion again out of you and my partner, right? So, like, I, I love blowing people's minds with what I could do. And I did do the occasional show for girls every once in a while, just for some stuff, just to have some fun. But it was always just more fun. Like, I could never even keep myself serious when I was trying to do a personal show. Like, when I was on stage, I could, I could roll out some serious shit. But when I was... Uh, when I was just doing person, I, I just start chuckling to myself because I don't, I still, I don't see myself. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm like, I'm old. Yeah, you know. Um, but no, I, I, honestly, like, I, I guess, like I said, I, I, my desire for relationships now is a lot deeper. Like, and that's why I take this time off. I really want to hit that higher state of consciousness. Like, I really want to hit that higher state of consciousness. And I've never really been, but I believe it. It's just, it's just, it's just a difference when I guess it's just the age I'm at now, but I just really, really feel like there's a, there's an untapped side of me that I've never gone to. And well, yeah, probably cause you spent like so long, you know, in front of um, people doing this thing and having this mask on now, like the mask is off completely. And maybe you're just trying to figure out like who you really are and so forth. I don't know. Like, I just, this is just me talking because of what you've told me and what I've read in the book and with the mask, because I get the whole thing with the mask. Trust me. I still, I still live behind that mask, like all the time. Um, You know, am I going to take time off to do this and do that? Probably not. I just like, I just like going, going, going. I'm one of these people that gets thrilled on adrenaline. Um, Did you ever, so did you, you don't seem like you're much of a hustler when you're doing these things. Um, and I, I do have to ask this. What was the most, I would say, expensive or unusually unusual gift that a customer ever gave you besides the gift of worthiness or uh, self-esteem? Material gift. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't a hustler. In fact, the guys <laughs> in my group actually had sugar mamas like crazy. And I, we, we, it was funny. Like We actually had like a couple, <laughs> some sugar mamas from Northern Alberta uh, Alabama that she used to there's like uh three of the guys used to kind of do their thing with them or whatever then but they were really cool they were like oh we're taking a whole dance review out for dinner and they just like we'd all go out together and it was just like they loved being around 
time. I think it was just kind of like, they just, again, their lives were kind of boring. They get around the dancers. They're having a, it's just a different vibe. They're having a good time. They feel accepted. So, and I just kind of rolled with that. But I never really, just, I didn't really have like the, I didn't never had a sugar mama for one. And second, I think the biggest thing that I would say that, that I got from any girl on stage is just being tipped a hundred dollar bill. Like just having this, well, I remember this one girl, she was in um, Florida and I wasn't even doing a show that night. Actually, I was just running around in my G string trailing. Just, I was, I was just out there for kicks. I wasn't even getting paid. I was just actually hanging out with the guys. I was like, ah, I'll throw my gear on and go out and roll some tips for a while. So I was running around in the crowd <laughs> and all of a sudden this lady comes up to me drops this hundred dollar bill up and i was like oh you realized that you just gave me a hundred dollar bill right she's like oh yeah yeah and i said oh well thank you and i was like why <laughs> and she said well i've always wanted to give somebody a hundred dollar bill and i never got anybody that i wanted to give one to before and she's the way person and i was like oh okay well thanks and then i sat there and had a drink with her for about five minutes and she was like uh do you have a girlfriend and i was like uh wife she was like, oh, yeah, where is she? And I said, oh, she's over there on the other side, of, you know, over there with the, the, the crew on the other side. She's like, what are you doing hanging out with me? And I was like, well, because, you know, you tipped me a $100 bill, and I thought it would you know, be nice to get to know you a little bit, some respect thing. And she was just like, no, you should be with your wife. Go over there and hang with your wife. And she just kind of, I was like, okay. And I just left it at that. But, yeah, I just didn't really, I wasn't the big, I didn't really get into any of that stuff. Really. I just kind of took the money as I rolled along. And that was yeah. I've never had a sugar mama, but, um, yeah, that does not float. That does not, I'm no, I'm completely straight. Um, exactly. I was going to say, it's very, I, it's, it's such a mix up between the, um, audience with male strippers that I've noticed. Like you'd see guys there all the time, like the leather daddies and everything. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> um, I, I just I have this thing about leather daddies because of like the leather hat and the chains. I have a teddy bear that's dressed as a leather daddy. Don't ask me why; it's just there. Does the teddy uh, bear have assless chaps on? Yeah, <laughs> like like Rob <laughs> Halford and Judas Priest, assless chaps, the leather hat. Yeah, and, he's got a really hairy ass too. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> and the aviator glasses. How sexy? Maybe not, <laughs> but. You know, I think it's very encouraging the message you give to people in this book, especially to men, because there are a lot of men out there. You know, you guys don't want to be vulnerable. And, you know, it's just it's a lot. It's not like a wuss to be vulnerable. It takes a lot of strength and it's cool. Yeah, it, it does open you up to, um, you know, to getting your heart broken. But, hey, I'm still waiting for my damn glass slipper, which I never got. But you just got to go out there and keep trying. It's a numbers game. You know, maybe your next um matches outside of the LA County jail or something. But when have you ever thought about being a motivational speaker for men? Because I think that this really opens up a whole door of uh, things that a lot of guys have not really explored about themselves. Thanks, Thanks for saying that. You know, it is interesting. I'm going to the public speaking realm a little. Um, but for me, really, where I'm just sitting right now, I'm only opening up one garage door at a time. Like, I want to get my podcast going. Stuff here, a what? So I'm going I'm to start a podcast here. That's so good. But I, I think that it's more so realistically, like where I'm at right now, I'm just feeling like I'm making such an impact with just the whole authenticity side of things. Like, um, because it's, it's actually connected the dots for me personally as well. And what I mean by that, when I was talking about the, the higher state of consciousness earlier, um, is really that I guess like when you talk love languages, we've heard this one before, you know? Everybody has their love language. You got to do little tests and see what you, what what works and all that. Maybe you like the kiss in the neck. Maybe you like the kiss. 
this, whatever it is, right? But for me, if I'm with you and I don't know your love language, then how the hell am I actually supposed to really be able to connect with you, right? Or vice versa. Like, really, like, the honeymoon phase can happen. But, I mean, after the honeymoon phase goes away, if you're not really know what that person, what makes that person tick, it's kind of tough. You're kind of rolling on the slot machine in my eyes. So as much as it sounds like I'm being systematic, I kind of am. When I look at the, the impact of connecting my values and the feelings, it's very, very similar to the love language thing. Everybody's different. So you have a different set of values from the lens that you grew up with and where, you know, whether it's religious, maybe it's political ideology, whatever it might be, you have a different set of values than I do, right? Seen different by you had a different set of feelings that are attached to those values. And so for me, if I don't really understand my partner's values and the feelings that connect to that, then I can't really, I can't connect on that higher level. And that's where I'm trying to go now with, with my, whoever my next partner ends up being. I'm not even labeling that or even putting a time on that because I still have a lot of learning and growing to do myself, really. Like I just, I that. Like I've done a lot but there's still a lot more to learn. And so I guess like what I'm kind of saying is, is that like, if I, if I can understand that, that you, for example, you like the, the, to be able to have protection, maybe, maybe you're the type of person that doesn't want to, what does, is a kind of an introvert. You don't like to go out into big crowds and all that stuff. Cause you have a feeling of safety that's connected to your, your core value of protection. And that's just the way you are. Right. If I don't understand that, I'm like, okay, Jasmine, let's go out and party and go have a good time with all of my friends tonight. And you're kind of like, oh, that's not really what I want to do. And I don't, you know, so if, if it's kind of, I think that the more that a person can understand those core values, the better that you can connect on that inner level, not just the exterior. So what I've been trained to do through my company is not only take those feelings, because I have like, I'll list them up. My core values are simple. Truth, integrity, unity, protection, relationships, creativity leadership and detachment. And then I have my feelings that are connected to each other. Simple as that. But I can't stay in check with all those every day. That's impossible, right? Like every, every day you're going to wake up a little bit different. Some days you're going to feel like you're going to kill it. Some days you feel like shit. So I can't basically hone in on every one of my core values and feelings. So what I basically do is, is I, I have what I call an inner purpose. And that is simply the eight feelings that are represented on my core values, I have one word that represents them all, and that's harmony. So if it's if I'm in a harmonious state, I'm actually at the top of my vibration. I'm never going to be perfect with it because that's the perfection just doesn't happen. But if I actually am in like aligned with all my core values, I'm harmonious, that's when you're seeing the best of Corey. That's when Corey's flowing. That's when Corey's able to freaking do public speaking. That's when he could probably sell an ice cube to an Eskimo, but I don't want to sell anymore. Because I'm not in the sales anymore, I'm serving. So it's just all I'm getting at is, is that if I can understand that with someone else, then I feel that I have that, that uh, deeper connection from inside, not just from the outside. I've lived on the outside for too long. I want the full pack. I want the I want the, the physical, the, the spiritual, the mental side of it. I want that true higher level of consciousness, and I believe it can happen. It just has to be somebody that's willing, and that's tough. It's not a lot of people. You sound so mature. Oh my God. It's just like, so it's embarrassing. Okay. Oh, no, it is. yeah, it, but it, it's good. It's good. That's good. Now you sound really mature. You definitely know what you want. And you know, during the pandemic, did you think that did anything to relationships? Um, 
with oneself, like, especially with yourself, did it do anything else for you that you feel was positive? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I journal, um, I, a journal. Yeah. I took time to journal. Like I started every day, you know, like, and not religiously, but you know, just, just write about shit. No matter what it is, it could be about my dog, you know, like anything. Like I was always just keeping myself, my mind ticking to really kind of stay with that creativity that gives me the excitement. Because if I don't have that, then I'm dying inside. I don't want to be like everybody else is sitting inside their freaking house dying inside, right? It was like, screw it. If I got to be inside my house, I'm going to do something that's going to build me and make me a better person. So when I come out the other end of this shit and I can start actually doing things again with my life, I'm going to be living it on fire. And that's why I'm looking at it. Honestly, Jasmine, I look at it just like this. I'm going to take this break from Trent Frickin Shelton, who I actually really admire a lot as a, as a speaker. And the one thing that he always says is, is like, people focus way too much on their freaking birthday. They're not focusing on their death day. Right? There's too many people walking around this planet that are dead. They're not, they're just living. They're not, they're not doing it to, to, to live a quality life. And I've met so many people that are even my age that are already kind of dead. And I don't want to be that guy. Like, I want to drain this freaking gas tank right out. I want to travel the world, experience other cultures. I've already done a lot of it as it is, but I want to keep going, learning other people, like just being a more well-rounded, interesting person. And it's not to prove anything to anyone else. It's just, this is the life that I want to live. Right. And so if you don't, if you don't go do it, like people sit there, they, they take notes, for example, you can go to a seminar and take all the notes in the world, or you can read, read a hundred freaking books. Right. But are you actually taking the action in the books? Are you actually taking the action from the notes and doing it? Most people don't. They're too freaked out to get out of that comfort zone and take uncomfortable action. Well, I'm somebody that's been outside of my comfort zone all my freaking life. <laughs> well, 17 so. years old, taking off your top. Yeah, that's kind of, um, <laughs> at that age, it's very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable every time you actually probably did it, you know, because you just, you're sitting there and like you're out on stage and the first three seconds you're on stage is when people are judging you. Or the audience is judging you, I should say. And it's a very, um, it's a very scary thing. Now, do you suffer from stage fright by any chance? First three seconds. Do you suffer? From, you do suffer from stage fright. First three seconds. It's the anticipation. It's not the action. It's At least it's not like the first three minutes or something. But yeah. Ah, it's the first three seconds. Because like, I would get the butterflies. If I didn't get the butterflies, I didn't care. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was bad. Like, if I didn't get the butterflies, I was like, okay, shit. <laughs> but. Really, it's just the, it's the anticipation. It's not the action. Like, here's a good example. Um, you've read the book, so I'll, I'll just shed a little light for your audience. There's a, in my first chapter, I have this massive fear of heights that got embedded in me because I went to the fair, and my aunt and uncle put me on a Ferris wheel, and I got stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel. I was crying my freaking eyes out as a five-year-old kid, and I thought to myself later in life, I was like, how the hell did you ever do that to me? Did you not love me? Like, you're horrible people. How did you, why would you ever do that? And my aunt turned around and laughed at me. And said you weren't at the fair, you were at the mall and plugged quarter the things like seven feet tall, you were crying like a bitch on top of it, right? So for me, when I realized that, that was a, that was my my struggle was truth. Uh, and, and the actual my, my core value was truth and the struggle that I had was actually the perspective of my truth. And I didn't know I was I was in an unintentionally inauthentic at that age, is what I'm saying. So I carried that fear of heights for so many years. I didn't go do the adrenaline sports. I didn't go do the friggin' skydive. I barely even got up to do a parasail. I just took that component of my life and just put it into fear zone and never did it, right? Then I go to the Philippines. 
oh God, two years ago. And I'm standing at the top of Kawasan Falls. It's like 15 meters high. And I'm looking down, shaking. And the guy's counting down three, two, one. And I didn't even hit one. And I'm gone. Because it was like, it's the anticipation. It's not the action. It always is that. So for me, I just, that's, that's kind of what I try to, I guess you could say, like, connect those dots for other people. So when I'm talking about that struggle in my book, when I'm training somebody one-on-one, if I, I'll go, hey, read the first chapter of my book on my struggle between truth and perspective, and then tell me something that you had in your early life that actually you had, that was one of your core values that was compromised and the struggle that you had with it and write it down. And then in the next session, we're going to actually have a chat about that and compare. And I'm going to show you mine, you show me yours. Let's talk about it. It's all confidential. Let's do it. And if somebody's willing to go there, now that's, that's, on, that's releasing some blocks. That really is. Like, that's big stuff right? That's where I get the goosebumps. Like literally talking about it, I get the goosebumps because I know that I'm making an impact that's actually going to make somebody the best version of themselves. And I can't force that hand. I can't say, this is what you need to do. I can gently guide that person in that direction, but they need to take the reins and do it themselves. I can only gently guide them. That's to me, the quality of a true leader is is leading by example and gently guiding somebody in the right direction. So again, it's just, it's a practice that I'm, I'm doing and I'm just getting better and better and better at. And I love doing that for other people. So, you know, what's your ethnic great. background? Oh God. Would you Native American? No, French Canadian actually, as you go deep back, uh, my great grandfather was Chevalier was his name. And I think there was a little bit of uh, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit of native, native American Canadian somewhere back in the pile somewhere. But honestly, I, I, Family background is so weird, Jasmine. Up until just a couple of years ago, I didn't know jack shit. Like my 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 grandparents didn't tell me anything. Like they didn't tell me about their history because it was so brutal in so many ways. So they protected me from that. They kind of put me in a shelter zone because my grandfather, his mother, committed suicide in a river right in the depression. So and then on top of that, he was wired to basically not have any emotion because he was military and. World War II. So you're programmed. Yes. So again, he would never be able to deprogram that shit because that shit is so deep. That, that trauma is so deep. My little T trauma of being on a freaking Ferris wheel that I thought was a real Ferris wheel, yes. that's a minor. That's like, that's a two on the 10 scale, right? So I can deal with that and go back and connect that dot and go, okay, yeah, I get it now. I'm going to move on with my life and start jumping off cliffs, right? But for him, different story. Right? So yeah, when I look back, I don't really have a lot of, oddly enough, until they passed away, I didn't really know a lot about my own family. Like, they just didn't, they, they just, they really just kind of were very, they'd already raised three kids before me, so they kind of got the t-shirt, so they just kind of, I don't know, like, even when I went in to be a dancer, like, my dad was like, go ahead, kid, fill your boots, if you, as long as you don't get fucked up on drugs and you're not freaking, your grades aren't slipping, do it. So I was going to high school. Tuesdays and Thursdays doing ladies' night, right? But I mean, that was just the way it was. I never screwed up. So they were like good with it. And yeah, you seem to have it together, like at least here. No. You, you seem like you have it together 100%. To me, I feel I, I think like you'd make a better candidate um, on the Bachelor TV show than those himbos that are on there. I mean, those guys are so fucking generic. It's like, can you do any better? Like, get someone interesting. And someone that could actually like contribute to something other than the stupid rose and that cheap wine that you see them walking with. Like, is there anything better than that? And 
So I like I checked out of that show a while ago. It's a great concept and a great creation by all means, but I just wish I'd get people that were more um like the guys, the contestants should be, they should be like you. And I'm not just saying that. I really I, think I, so. I think you'd be like the perfect personals ad. <laughs> I'm blushing. I know I could tell. I could tell. I could totally tell. Uh it's it brings me to the next thing with online dating. So at the end of the day, I always tell my friends that are single, if Charles Manson can do it, you can do it too. <laughs> I know. <it's- laughs> oh There's hope out there. I'm telling you. What What are your thoughts on like online dating? Have you even done that? Yeah, I went on Match.com for about, oh my God. For about a month. It wasn't my job. I just, I, I'm kind of that guy that just likes to really have that. I'm old school. I like that really, that freaking face-to-face connection let the fate roll let the freaking vibe roll like just do it you know and and and, but at the same time again although i am that way on the other side of things i'm still a little bit systematic wanting to work with somebody because to me just being this is just my perspective but i think it's kind of real because i've been there a couple times this is all a business it's this like it's a business it's, yeah. it's when you sign the marriage paper it's a business when even when you're when you're working on something with someone like if i'm if i'm in, in a career and i'm working a job with someone i'm doing it all on my own right it's not really going to work out as well as if i'm working as a team with other people right like it's so it kind of works the same way with with relationships for me because as i said the honeymoon phase can only last so long sex drugs and rock and roll thing is fun it only goes so far and eventually when it gets to the reality of you know what where you really want to go in life if the ties can be bound pretty good but if you don't really understand the other person you're not really trying to really i guess you could say like not just see things through your lens then eventually somewhere down the road it's going to fall apart and that's why we have the seven year itch in the first bloody place that's why most people do last while just just me this is just me talking right like is that you're talking to a guy that had parents that lasted for over 50 years and and although I didn't even necessarily agree with that to a certain degree, because for them, when people of that generation got married, it was just like, you're married. Hell or high water. Like, you know, <laughs> everything can fall apart. It doesn't matter. We're sticking it out, which isn't necessarily that great either, right? Like, you know, so I'm kind of old school in that way. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, to, if I can, like I said, I'm looking for the willing partner, the willing partner. And, that means in my business, when I'm talking about training people, when mm-hmm. I'm working with authors who are willing to go out of their comfort zone and determine their own authenticity and write like that, that's who I'm looking for. If it's somebody in my my life, I'm not doing the match.com thing because realistically, again, you can you can get some things, I guess you could say some filters on that. You can go, okay, this is I, I don't want this person that likes this, or maybe I don't agree with their political ideology. I can dish them off the side, but it's just, I don't know, to me, it just doesn't really work. It just doesn't, it just doesn't compute. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm just looking at the cover again. But I think a lot of people of both sexes um, could benefit from your book. So, you know, read it. It's Take It Off, which is a pretty good, uh, it's a really good title because it goes in so many different directions. Like, yeah. Take It Off, whatever that mask is in your brain that you present out there to yeah. people. And that's really when you get further in your life because then you know what you want to do at least or hope you do um and where could people like learn more about your uh your tour dates if you're doing your motivational speaking and your endeavors and most of all 
people should definitely connect to Corey to learn how to write. Now, I read a lot of books by all different people, and this is by far one of the better written books. And, you know, all the credit to you because you didn't go to like all these classes for it. So what's your official website people can go to? It's simple. It's takeitoff.ca. Takeitoff.ca. Yeah, yeah. And then my books on Amazon and and Barnes & Noble and to go up here chapters here but yeah the best place to go get it is really on my website um i'll throw a 20 percent discount down for your audience as well if they put in the code oh whatever yeah i'm gonna go jas code jazz code so we'll go yeah. jazz code all one all one small caps um and then i'll just put a 20 percent discount on the book or any courses if they want to do video courses or if they want to do one-on-one training that's that's the genre i'm going for right now when it comes to public speaking just due to covid and stuff like the way the world's been the last little while i really want to go there but i just kind of can only open up one garage door at a time and this is consuming all my time right now it's like this is my number one so when that when this starts when that's done and i can you know get my i guess it's say coaching career rolling then i'm going to go into that other realm because i think that um Sometimes our greatness is really hidden behind our biggest fears. And one of my biggest fears is public speaking. <laughs> and yeah, glad there was a table in front of me because my knees were just chattering the whole time while I was trying to talk. Shaking crazy. So, yeah, it was for somebody that took off all of his gear for women all over the place. I was scared shitless. People don't get that. It's one thing to be nude, like physically, then nude emotionally twirling around on a stage. And like telling your story because you don't know what the other people are going to do, but then you go into an acting class or something and oh, well, there goes that. But it's the same type of chills in a way, kind of. I mean, I took my clothes off for many years. Um, It's just very boring, to be quite frank with you. Uh, (laughs) Hey, but I met the interesting characters like you did. And, you know, obviously you, you learned a lot from it and you're able to draw a lot from that in your life, which is very admirable. So for those of you listening, uh, go to takeitoff.ca buy the book. And I say sign up for some of the coaching classes because it's pretty interesting. And I think there are a lot of you guys out there that could learn a lot from him, especially those of you that sit there on the phone playing on freaking whatever those dating sites, those those dating apps are. I think I've been thrown off of every one of them. But um, yes, learn from the learn from him and it just Corey Hilton. Yeah, the I was just gonna say the coaching stuff starts on April 1st. So okay. I'm, I'm just, I only have the book on my site right now. So it is honestly, I'm not going to lie. My site's a little bit plain Jane right now. So, but by the time April 1st hits, that'll be when the, when I'll be putting in coaching packages, because the cool part that I, this is what I was just going to say. This is kind of an interesting thing. When you talk about people in the self-help game or people that are motivational speakers and all this stuff, right? Same regurgitated information gets just done. Like we've heard it all before. I've heard so much of this stuff over but the twists that I wanted to throw on it, which is a little different, is, is that it is literally a facilitation that I'm doing. And what I'm doing is, is I'm, like I say, cross-referencing with my book. So the book actually comes with the course. So the person actually can kind of have a little bit of fun and be entertained, inspired, and educated all at the same time. And maybe just take a little bit of that and actually like have it really embed. And so... Yes, there are stuff, there are things that, that are typical that I are, am as well regurgitating. I'm just doing it through my lens and doing it in a very unique way that does not have any political or religious ideology in it whatsoever. I have my own thoughts on all that stuff, but I leave that out of the equation because, quite frankly, it's just not even, it doesn't matter. It's just a, 
I think that when people start incorporating religious, political, I don't care about, but religion into these programs to help people and self-help and so forth, it really, um, it doesn't speak as loud and it kind of puts people off as opposed to when they read your book, which is just a really good story. And you're not trying to push any agenda of, um, of religion or saying you have to be this religion. I had this therapist during the pandemic. I had to fire her and call the bar. I think she was Canadian and I didn't know she had complaints against her, but she's trying to get me to read all these books on Buddhism. I'm like, I'm cat. I just have no interest in this. Then I find out that like she was contacting my ex on social media. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You psycho? Like who the hell are you? Then I looked her up. So she used to practice psychiatry, psychiatry or psychology in Canada. I'm like, Oh, so she's not there anymore. Now she came to California to pull this shit. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta leave her a, a review at some point. I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> careful with those canadians i'm telling you they're dangerous. i'm telling you yeah That'd like with nice. rush another good kid something that's another really good thing from canada then you then my best friend neva with her bachelorette party with no <laughs> male stripper this weekend hint hint but anyway um yeah. uh, well <laughs> for the price of um you know what's funny about that jasmine this is all, all i do with this i know we've been going for a while but i've actually been having a lot of fun with this conversation. yeah freaking vibe by the way um, but I will say, it's kind of funny because you didn't read to the end of the book, but the funny thing is, is when I got to 43, and I actually, you might remember that first chapter I said, when I saw this guy out there doing a show and he was in his 40s and he shouldn't have been doing it, I was like, I don't want to yeah. be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Like, no matter what, never want to be that guy. In the end, very last bit, I actually ended up in a position where I had somebody from my school, a high school, say to me, Hey, Corey, would you want to do a show? And I was already considered retired. I was done, right? I was like, the G-string's been collecting dust in the closet for a while. Like, I'm not going to go do it. But turned around and I, they said, oh, would you please, please, please? And I said, okay, so I jacked my price to like triple. Like, they're not going to take it. No way. So I threw that out there. Oh, well, you know, they freaking snapped it up, right? So now I'm like, great. I'm out of shape. I'm going out and doing a gig that's like just horrible in a community hall. Just the worst. Like, it's like, I'm talking like I've been at the top of the game and now I'm like right down there. And I'm that guy now, literally that guy walking in going, Oh shit, I don't want to do this at all. Right. But that was my very last show. And so it's just kind of funny. The irony is, is that I never wanted to be him, but I ended up being him in the end after doing it. Well, it's just that one time. It's not like you kept doing it. Cause look, yeah. I'll be damned if I show up at this bachelorette party and this guy is like in his fifties with a freaking beer, but I just, I'm leaving the bachelorette party. I'm taking my gift and I'm not, I will not be at that wedding if that happens. But truthfully, I don't think we're even hiring. I don't think she wants a male stripper there. That's usually for the friends and family of the bride to be because she's so head over heels in love with the groom. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I will admit that that old, that old red G string is still sitting in my closet. And if you, if, if you talk nice enough to me, I might show up and back. <laughs> I might just do it. You never know. For you, that's a different story. But I will end it off with this. Yes. And this is something that I really wanted to say for the guys out there. Because we end up always doing this whole man enough bullshit of being freaking hunter-gatherer. And you're not the, not the hunter-gatherer, you're not man. If you cry, you're not man enough. You've got all these things. Guys have these labels put on them. And as much as I said what I said about guys earlier as far as their mentality goes, there is a certain element of programmed, wired shit that we have in us that is just there. And I think it started off well, started up a long time ago, but it really enhanced when Top Gun came out back in the 86. I think it was when Tom Cruise was standing there not even cried during the movie. He's lost 
he lost his buddy and he can't cry though. Can't do that. I've got to be mad at him. And it's kind of funny. I just, I got to the point with that where it's like, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you crack an egg and it hits the floor, you got to, you know, cry a river about it. But what I'm saying is when shit gets really tough, like really tough, and you can't really deal with it, and you're, you're bottling all those emotions up, and eventually they're going to come out the wrong way. It's going to spill out, and you're going to say something really inauthentic, and you're probably going to hurt the people around you and everything else. It's not really worth it. You've got to go into another room, do what you got to do. you got to go somewhere else to be mad enough, go ahead and do it, but let the damn freaking break before you damn break. Because, I mean, really, like that's what I said in the last, that's my tagline at the very end of the book, is just let the damn break before you damn break, man. It's like, it's not, it's not being any less of a man in my eyes to do that like it's actually powerful to actually release those emotions out of you because i can remember when i was a little little kid and crying to the point that i didn't even know why the hell i was even crying anymore i can still remember it as far back as i can remember and to the point where i was like and then i finally stopped i can remember the feeling that overwhelmed my body when i finally stopped even at that early age it was a it was just a, a feeling of just like comfort and so if you don't release it end up just it just continues to fester and get worse and worse and that's why so many people do this and so there's so many inauthentic people out there that they're not intentionally doing it you just they're trying to hit that madness i just i really believe that well yeah that's true cries i'm mean, tears speak wonders it worked on me once when i dumped a guy and then i went back with him years later then i had a restraining order against him then he had one against me and i think someone <laughs> has one against someone now but it's been great <laughs> that's a whole other story I know. <laughs> but no i mean yeah. like i said you know i'm not saying that it's appealing that you know some guy like i said you know, spills some milk it's like <laughs> i'm not saying that you know and i'm not talking pussy stuff i'm just saying when shit gets really tough right like because i've been there man where it's like and you know i if i didn't have a release in some way it didn't turn out so good on the other end that's part of the reason why i ended up on an eight-year course dump walk after my freaking divorce right shouldn't have had that happen like i should have been releasing those emotions moving on long before that but there again i'm one of these people that again it's i'm one of these odd ones that's like you know i really have that sanctity of that relationship and if it means that much to me it's going to hit me really hard in the heart and you got to go through the pain to understand love or vice versa so i'm cool with it I'll, I'll still put myself out there. That's what life's all about, right? Relationships. Yeah. Taking the risk. Well, thanks for taking it off for me today. Ah. So everyone remember, takeitoff.ca. And thank you very much for um, having this intimate chat with me. <laughs> what? This was actually, as much as I was really looking forward to this, this is even better than I expected. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this, this conversation. I got a really, really great vibe. Thank you. So much.